for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. It's time for round two with this movement specialist who appreciates the concept of sports specificity. Find out how guest Dana Santes works with athletes in order to improve durability and emphasize injury prevention. It's not about eliminating asymmetries or altering the developments that make the pros good at their job. It's about making them well-oiled machines. Probably the most exciting bit featured in this week's podcast is a walkthrough of a five-minute breathing and meditation exercise. Dana takes you, the listener, on a step-by-step practice that will leave you feeling more balanced, more in tune with your energy, and, if you're John, very, very sleepy. Sometimes getting your mind right requires you to slow down and, as one of my least favorite sayings goes, listen to your body. Or, if you're like me, ignore your liar body and just listen to this podcast. This is episode 182. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? This is Luke. I'm with John and Texas visiting. We are all here in Orange County, Newport Beach at Power Athlete HQ. We are about to give you another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. It's the Dana Santos Chronicles. Yes, part two. Part so two. we're happy to have uh, Dana back on. So if you, if you missed Dana about three or four weeks ago, we posted up episode 176. Dana is uh, the hashtag mobility maker and is uh, the, the creme de la creme of helping out guys and gals who don't even know how to do the most basic and primal movement. Breathing was what we covered last time, but now I think we're going to travel this episode upstairs a little bit into kind of the mental side of things, and then uh, we here at Power Athlete are going to get a little selfish and talk about um, strategies to survive travel when you're on long hauls for like to Sweden, for say, for example, Tex, right? Oh, yeah. So we have a seminar coming up. Just heads up. <laughs> so, but uh, do we have any public service announcements before we get in? I mean, we have Power Athlete Symposium coming up in December, people. PowerAthleteHQ.com slash symposium. Check it out. Uh, lots of cool speakers, lots of stuff. Dana, I think you're busy then, or I was going to ask you. You should come out to Newport Beach and hang out with uh, the who's who of... Uh, for part three of the Chronicle. <laughs> <laughs> when, wait, when is it? December 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. Oh, that's, um, that's winter meetings, baseball winter meetings. Yeah, yeah. I remember you talking last time we, we met that, like, December, like, really lights up for you. So, sorry we're going to miss you, but maybe uh, as this thing grows, next time we'll get you through somehow, right? Mm, that would be awesome. I'd love it. But, uh, well, how about this? Enough about us. Dana, maybe just like a repeater, in case people forgot what happened or, or didn't didn't listen to episode 176, give a little intro, a little background on you, and then, as you know, it'll just go downhill from there, and we'll, we'll get going. Okay. Well, I think John forgot my last name, because as nice as it was that you said the Dana Santos Chronicle. Santos? Santos. Santos. Oh, Santos. Guys in a red suit. True. Really popular Christmas. I just I turned turned it to an O to try to masculate it. Yeah, I mean I'd have to feminize it. I'm sorry for your husband. Yeah, I was just gonna say. Now you're tooling on my husband. I know, Mr. Mr. Santa. Yeah, don't worry. It took me like six months into the marriage to be like, how do I pronounce my last name again, honey? You're like, I can't believe we got married in Vegas over the weekend that we met. It was almost like that. It was six months after we met, but it'll be nine years. And uh, well, when you know, you know. Honestly, 
except for the other two times. But what <laughs> I digress. <laughs> well, no, no, but think about that. Think about uh, those as learning experiences, figuring out what you didn't want. Yeah. And then on the third time around, you knew exactly what you wanted. You didn't need to wait. Right. You know what? And I know we're kind of poking fun, but that, that is exactly true. It really is. Um, all those experiences made me ready for this one, so I wouldn't mess it up. <laughs> we, uh, uh, ironically, when we were packing shirts, we were listening to Tony Robbins. Yeah, so, um, so but we but, just packed out like 1,600 shirts, shirts the other but, day. But the, the way it started was uh, Greg Everett sent this picture, and he uh, accused me of being Tony Robbins' stunt double. Bizarro. Oh, bizarro. And so, uh, like, we made a joke, and, like, I met Tony Robbins years ago at a watch shop. And he had like the, yeah, I remember I went to shake his hand. I felt like I was shaking like my dad's hand when I was five years old. And so uh, he ended up trying to give me a pit bull, ironically. Like after like two minutes, he's like, hey, I have this dog. Do you want it? <laughs> I was like, no, I don't want you your dog. You just needed a friend. He could well, sense that. Well, I already had a pit bull. And he, he was like, oh, do you want another one? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good with one pit bull. Um, and so that was my only experience with him. And then Luke, of course, goes on and we throw Tony Robbins' deal on Netflix on. And none of us have any experience with him. Yeah, I've heard of him. You know, I'm he's like in Shallow House. Oh, he is in Shallow House. That's true. But he did make a great point. He said, if people were the people we wanted them to be at the time when we wanted them, we wouldn't grow into the people that we are. Yeah. And that was pretty, like, enlightening, you know, because people are like, oh, I wish, you know, you were the parent I want. And he's like, well, you wouldn't have you know, grown into the person I am. So I thought it was good. So I digress, but the long story short is think about all the people and, you know, those type of experiences helped you shape for who you are and make you a better person for your husband. And for the rest of the show, you can imagine John as Tony Robbins, which is what uh, I've been doing the past two days. God, uh, you know, <laughs> his bizarro, what did you say? He, he called him uh, my, uh, uh, Tony Robbins bizarro. Bizarro Wellborn. Yeah. It's <laughs> like the Seinfeld episode. It, which means the exact opposite. So John's toes are forward. Tony was Tony's toes, toes out. Uh, Tony has empathy, sympathy, and uh, just has the ability to connect with people. Which I have no ability to connect with people, no sympathy <laughs> and no empathy. Um, and then I'll go ahead and just say it. Tony has amazing calves. John <laughs> could use some calf work. I got Here one, we go. I got one good calf. <laughs> my, my other calf has been ruptured and torn. All right, so what else? Uh, Tony, he's an inch taller than me, six, seven. His hands are bigger than mine. Mm -hmm. And um, what else? So that's it. That's, yeah, all, that's, we it. that's all we got. We, we hadn't thought this out very far. <laughs> so Dana, sorry, we'll cut, we'll stop cutting you off. You jump in, you go. Okay. Um, well, let's see. You had asked me for that um, mini, like, who am I kind of thing. And so we covered my last name and then on social media, I'm the mobility maker and mostly, um, well, someone gave me that nickname uh, a few years ago and then I started to use it on social media and also changed my website to that because I was trying to get away from that kind of yoga stigma and a lot of the pro athletes and teams that I work with they tend to call it more mobility breathing and mobility classes anyway um so yeah it gets me away from yoga and then I say all the time what my passion my true passion is to help people breathe move and feel better in their bodies and healthier and happier in their lives and that's you know whether you're a pro athlete or not and and I'm blessed to have that role with CNN where, um, as their yoga expert, but I get to write about other things besides yoga. Uh, but that allows me to reach more people and help them learn about, you know, the power of breathing better and uh, moving better and then ultimately feeling better. So 
that's pretty much me. And I guess on uh, just some background tech saw Dana at Summer Strong 9, and then just a clear connection here for anybody who's uh, spent any time with Power Athlete is movement, move better. And that's kind of the, the blueprint and the universal truth, whether it comes to, you know, the health longevity side of things or optimal performance and longevity in an in athlete's career, right? So, uh, Tex, what did you want to jump into? So, it, we're in the middle of the World Series right now, and I know you work, have the opportunity to work with many professional baseball players, and so just one ob observation I made in game one is the Cubs pitcher, Lester, he has a complete inability to throw to first base from the mound. So, Cleveland took advantage of this, this mental block. So, something happened to him where he just can't physically throw from the plate to first base, and Cleveland basically took complete advantage and crushed him in game one. So that is a, a mental block. So I want to kind of kick us off with kind of your approach to kind of allowing athletes to control their own mind. So during Summer Strong, you took us through kind of an eight-minute uh, – you can explain it better than I, but just that opportunity to make that connection to your mind and then you kind of bridging that gap to performance on the field. Yeah, what we did at Summer Strong is um, arguably the favorite meditation um, of, and ironically, starting pitchers, but all of the athletes that I work with, but especially um, starting pitchers, NHL goaltenders, they really get that value of clearing your mind because when you clear your mind, your focus can be so much more concentrated and almost seems like you're slowing everything down. I worked a long time with Timmy Thomas uh, and, and I remember, and he was, and I think we might've talked about this a little bit last time, but he was a big star Wars fan. Um, and so he used to say that it would make him feel like he had the force, like he could slow everything down and just be plucking the pucks out of the air. And it's this combination of having the control of your breathing, feeling like you're really in control in your body. And remember breathing is the only aspect of our autonomic nervous system that we can actually access and control. And it gives us then access to the control panel for the rest of it, right? And so I think any kind of meditation, none of the meditations that I do don't involve breath. Any kind of meditation really needs to take advantage of, of tapping in and focusing on the breath because it's always happening in the present moment. So it's your truest connection to the here and now. And sometimes this stuff sounds kind of fluffy, but we talked about this in the last one too. We can always bring it back to science, especially when you start to talk about the autonomic nervous system and things that are measurable, like does your heart rate go down, your blood pressure, um, how quickly can that happen with these kinds of exercises? And it's been proven that it can happen within 90 seconds. But then you can also, and especially with pitchers, um, it's important to be able to start to give them some cues that help them get into that state even quicker. Um, because they can't be like, hey, wait a minute, let me just uh, step off the rubber and um, I'm just going to do this meditation, you know, for, it'll just be eight minutes. I'll be right back. And that won't work. And even the 90 seconds that I said, that's still too long. So we'll practice getting into this state and then having, like, maybe it's, um, I have some guys who uh, don't actually speak Spanish, but they'll do a counting backwards in Spanish, you know, from five to one. But they start to associate that activity with the feeling that goes with it. And so when they need to step away, 
and use that cue or you know it could be a color or um, something like that so they use some kind of cue to associate it with that feeling and that helps them feel like they're back into in control so I, re I recall uh, just I think Iowa football so their visitors locker room they painted it pink so every yeah. time an away team comes in they yeah I don't know just so it's, well, no, no it's the idea that um where they had a psychology deal where pink inspires like timid and like the color of like would like you know inspire the players to be timid and so it was based off of these uh, I think it was like uh, and I can't I do we could they, we could dig up the research but basically and I played with Casey Wigman and some of the guys from Iowa and they had this whole like uh, deal with like colors that were able to stimulate so like the I think it was the weight room was painted like a green color and there was all this like you know thought process about colors and basically them pulling out some form of emotion associated with the color. The, uh, I tried to look for stuff like that uh, anytime I played a college away game, and one of the biggest things was the number one team, Salisbury, who wins like national championship at D3 every single year. Uh, the walk underneath the tunnel, you have to go underneath the freeway from away locker room to the field. So it's just this long couple-block tunnel, and they're at the end just freaking uh, – bells horns whistles just going crazy and playing over speakers in there the freaking um star wars darth vader march what is whatever that is yeah just to try to i don't know freaking psych you out in your your walk to your pre-game field well the probably the, <laughs> but but i mean you got to think for like the recreational d3 athlete that would be intimidating the recreational is good thing i wasn't well i mean what type of d3 athlete were you again all-star. The answer is D3 All-Star. Uh, All-Star. So let's get back to our, our guest here. We What's got our scholarship a, involved? The, uh, um, yeah, there's some academic uh, data. So let's get back to the... Who's uh, the force? Yeah, there, there's definitely something to the color thing. It's been a while since I looked into it, um, and I didn't think about it. You know, wow. I, I should have thought about it when, when guys pick colors. No one, ironically, no one has ever picked pink as their color to associate with. Uh, usually it's, it is something like red or yellow. Um, yeah, so it's a very stimulating color that they pick, even though, remember, it's supposed to go with this calm, but when they're in that kind of situation, I think they still want something. You're not looking for something to put you to sleep, right? Uh, and... Um, but I looked at this many years ago because the color to paint your nursery, it, it, they've done research about, you know, you don't want to put a baby in a nursery that's, but think about it, how many people paint their daughter's nursery pink? And what did you say that that color was associated yeah, with? Yeah, we, we didn't do that at all. I painted, uh, uh, for my daughter's, it uh, was green, and I think for the sun, we painted it blue. And with, um, but yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, people always paint, like I've, I've been over to friends' houses and their daughter's room looks like a bottle of Pepto-Bismol exploded everywhere. And I'm always like, God, I wouldn't want to, like, I, I'd have nightmares. If I was a guy and I went into a girl's room and it was painted this color, I would probably turn around and leave. Text on the other hand, probably lay down, but I couldn't find the album. But. All right, well, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty nuts. Um, but. Okay, so moving along. Where but but uh, accelerating and getting into that flow state, that takes practice. Yes. So what is your approach? Does it start at 10 minutes and you're working way to three breaths, 10 seconds? Where, where do you begin with these athletes to kind of teach them to really get out of their own head and relax? 
So it always just starts with, remember, breathing mechanics, like we talked about on the last podcast, making sure they have the right breathing mechanics, because otherwise we're kind of working against, you know, what we, we want to establish diaphragmatic breathing, which does not always mean deep breathing, just functional use of the diaphragm. And then they're going to be quicker getting into that state of deep diaphragmatic breathing, but they have to use the diaphragm. Um, so training that and then getting them to understand how they feel. And usually I don't, I don't have to say a whole lot. Like they'll, they'll tell me, even my face feels different. Like after they've taken, you know, we've done two rounds of the five breaths because I tend to go in rounds of five breaths. And if they don't say something, but I can see it, you can see their face change. You can see all the tension in their neck, especially if they were breathing with their neck previously, right? It goes away. And that has a, a massive um, effect on them. And if they don't actually say it to me, I'll say, hey, do you notice how you feel? Like, how do you feel right now? And then it's like, oh my gosh, like so relaxed. And, but not relaxed where necessarily they're going to sleep. I do have meditations that I'll use for that. Um, and there are different techniques that we use um, to help facilitate sleep. But overall, I just want to establish the diaphragmatic breathing. And then, as you were saying and kind of surmised, I start off with the full meditation because I want them to get the full effect of what the meditation is and get themselves completely immersed in what that state feels like. And um, you said we could do this at the end, right? So I'll do it with you guys. John, are you in? Eight minutes. Totally in. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I, is there a seven-minute one, or is it always eight? Well, you know what? It's, is it like eight-minute abs? Can we yeah. get seven-minute abs? I. <laughs> it might be seven minutes. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm. It's it's a joke from uh, what's um, from something, uh, about some, something about Mary. Remember when the guy's like, I got seven-minute abs, and he's like, Step into my office. You're fucking tired. <laughs> yeah. All right. No, so but, because it could, it could be six minutes, it could be nine minutes, it depends. Um, but the other day I did it in three minutes because the guys really wanted to do it, but we had another session coming right in. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And they all had done it before, so it wasn't that hard for them to get into that state. And you don't know why I keep doing this with my palms and people can't see it, but that's what this med this meditation has a movement to your palms that's really right. tricky. Cool. It's awesome. But um, have you uh, have you had any like uh, um, research or anything done? Like uh, have brought people in and had them hook them up to like EKGs, blood pressure, any type of uh, you know like me like metrics to like test. I mean, I, I always think that based off of our last conversation, um, I kind of started really thinking like the point that you made that breathing becomes like the control box for like the nervous system to be able to calm the body down. It's almost like is it a one to one where all of a sudden somebody takes a deep breath, like a diaphragm breath, and all of a sudden you see vital signs, whether it be blood pressure or even just you know being able to hook them up to an EKG or anything along that line to be able to see it in real time. Have you done anything like that? Personally, I haven't, but there are definitely studies out there. And the, the very first one um, was Dr. Herbert Benson from Harvard, and I want to say it was in like the 1970s. And he coined this term, the relaxation response. And he found that 90 seconds, just 90 seconds of diaphragmatic breathing uh, would elicit a drop in blood pressure and heart rate. And I think there was something else. Um, I think it's, it wasn't his research, but since then, they've come to find out that it also inhibits cortisol production. 
So, which makes sense. Um, what, but, you know, so that's I, research, but there's more research. I, I wish that I was um, brainy enough to be one of the people doing the research, but. Well, I mean, it I seems like, like with, with your access and as many people as you work with, it'd be super easy for you to reach out to really anybody that's doing this research and allow them to come in and, you know, test some models. These people always love to, you know, test. I mean, it's, it, you think about like, who would you rather test? Just Joe Blow off the street or you get to test some professional athletes. It'd right, just be interesting right. and, and be able to solidify your work. But ironically, um, my mom has high blood pressure. And I think it comes from my brothers and I with her screaming <laughs> at us all the time. So my mom had this uh, blood pressure machine that she would put on her finger when she'd get like super lit up. She would look over and put this thing on. And we'd always like basically bet on what the number was. You'd be like, I think she's over 200, you know? And um, <laughs> <laughs> so my brothers and I would take the machine and we would sit around and we would try, uh, like we would bet things. Like I forgot what it was. Like I'll do your chores. I'll do this. I'll give you this. Whoever's the lowest. And we would have the best three out of five rounds of whoever got the lowest. And we found pretty easy that if you could sit perfectly still and take huge deep breaths, like diaphragmatic breathing and like found different like patterns, we could actually manipulate the blood pressure in our pulse off of this machine to try to win these things. And we did this for years. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's funny, as you were talking about this stuff, I'm like, this sounds like the crap my brothers and I used to do in that uh, it was it was pretty interesting to the point where we were like, hey mom, next time you get lit up, why don't you put this thing on and take like some deep breaths and just sit here perfectly still and we'll be quiet and not say anything. And it would always calm her down, which was good for us because then she wouldn't try to kill us. But. Um, <laughs> Hey, I, I just think it would be uh, it, it would be really cool for your work and also for you know um, you know when you go. I mean, like not that you need any help in any more access, but I just personally would love to see uh, just your work being solidified in terms of something so that people can't say, "Oh, this is mumbo jumbo." Because I mean, when you start talking to people about breath, uh, their first thing is, "Well, is there any empirical da- data? How has this helped people?" And you're like, "How can this not?" It's kind of like the argument we make with me, like eating better food will oh, make yeah. you a healthier person. And people are like, that's nonsense. I'm like, take a step. Yeah. That's like trying to tell people, be like, oh, you know, uh, if you sleep an extra hour a day, you'll probably feel better. Or if you drink a little bit of water, like these simple truths, like you, you know, because if you watch people, and we, we see this all the time in a gym setting, people are terrible chest breathers. And, oh, that, yeah. and, and they're like, I'm noticing it even more since our first so, yeah, time. Like, yeah. like people do not uh, take deep breaths. I mean, I, I watch people that are constant mouth breathers. Mm-hmm. Well, I got you know, dude, it sounds like I sit over there and I'm like, just breathe through your nose. I, don't, I can't. I know you can. You say you're huffing. <laughs> so, uh, but like, um, I think some of that information would be really interesting just for your own work. And um, I well, would love to read it too. When, so when you brought that up, uh, um, it, I don't know, I had a senior moment and this escaped me, but it's not formalized and it's not published research, but within teams. Uh, and I, the senior moment continues because I can't think of the name of the technology and I know the magic used a certain one, the blue Jays use a certain one. It's a, it's a, um, kind of looks like a bro that they put on and they can measure, um, their heart rate. And I, I don't, I don't see how they could measure blood pressure with this bro thing, but they're measuring. Um, it goes a strap that goes around the chest, like yeah. a strap right here yeah. kind of deal. And they can measure, uh, I mean, dude, they can do a bunch of different stuff with it. Now I know they can do, uh, not only blood pressure, that's but VO2 they can do probably. VO2. I mean, they can do a bunch of crazy stuff. Yes, yes, that's it. So it's, it's yeah. all kinds of stuff. It's also measuring stress response. And one particular one, um, like the easy read on it is in colors. And so whether you're in the red, 
yellow, or green. And so the guys. This is uh, Joel Joel Jameson's heart rate variability. This is uh, Joel Jameson uh, has a deal, and it's an app on a phone, and you basically put it on, and then you can like push up the app, and it's called heart rate variability. It usually gives you a green number, and then the number is based on how hard you should train if you're overtrained. Does that sound like it? Well, no, no, that's that's definitely not what it is, but that's similar because okay. the technology that they use is you know tens of thousands of dollars, um, and I. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. Maybe it'll occur to me before we're done. But anyway, they, they use that. And so they'll, they'll send the guys into me where the guys are in, you know, either red or yellow. And then we see how many um, leave in, in the green. And what's really cool is I can usually predict which ones aren't going to leave in green. And it's not because they didn't put the effort in. But if I have a big group of guys, I can't always correct um, that uh, full extension and inability to breathe diaphragmatically, I do the best that I can, but I'll pick out the guys who never came out of extension and I'll say, okay, those two probably don't make it to green. And I've not been wrong. Um, it's, so it's pretty easy to see, you know, and I know all the other guys who are breathing like that, they're going to be in the green. So it's been measured that way. Um, just no published kind of and it would be hard to you have to think about this when it's in a professional sports team setting um just getting the approvals through the front office to be able to do something like that and approvals through guys agents because in major league baseball the um i think it was the players association was fighting being able to put these on guys they didn't they didn't want them wearing them and i believe that they won and I don't, I, I, you have to definitely have the guy's consent to wear them. You can't put them, you know, make it mandatory that the team has to wear them. And Well, I, I know the Philadelphia Eagles, I want to say, um, when um, the guy that went, that was there for a year, now he's in San Francisco. Uh, Chip Kelly. Uh, Chip Kelly had the guys wearing bracelets that would monitor all of their information. And so, like, what time you went to bed? All I mean, was like, this the the, the what bands that those guys had? No, something I, similar. I can't remember what it was, but like, I remember the guy was explaining that you know they gave they were making these guys wear bracelets, and it would tell them like they could like track calories and food and work out and there were all this. And the guys like, what do you think? I'm like, that's a terrible fucking idea. You think any professional athlete wants anybody to know that he went to bed at two or three in the morning or even seven or eight in the morning? Yeah, before game day. Before <laughs> game day. It's like you know, because I mean, I, I played with guys that had some. Of them really really strange rituals i'm not going to tell them about them, but like i'm like sometimes you just don't want to know so yeah i mean i i could see for like privacy and whatnot but it'd just be it'd be interesting it'd be kind of similar to like what dr jen did with the newport brain research center where they brought in players and they were able to test them that same way so i just always thought it'd be kind of neat to uh see this stuff on athletes because normally when they you look at most of the studies they're just based off of random people out of you know out of the world which to me, isn't nearly as exciting as seeing students stuff like that. Yeah. So bringing technology into professional sports is, I think it's kind of dangerous because if they're in the red, that may get become like a mental block. Well, but isn't baseball like the epitome of like psyching guys out? Like, isn't that like a, that's know? basketball? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but like, but like very was, ritualistic you, athletes. Yeah, right? I mean, they, like, are, are baseball players extremely superstitious? Oh yeah. Well, well they, they, they no better. Like, like I'm sure that like you work with a baseball player and he plays gay, uh, great. You you probably think every single game going forward he's going to do the exact same thing. 
Oh, you, you mean like eat the same breakfast? Yes. And walk the same way to the stadium? And oh, yeah, absolutely. And what's really nice is though, when working with me is somehow tied into that, you know? And that's, that's like why I think I ended up working with Timmy Thomas throughout his entire career was because when he really hit his stride, it happened to be the same year that he started working with me. I don't, I'm not- No coincidence, no coincidence here, no coincidence. Yeah, I, but I love that, you know, then he was like, we don't change it. We're not changing any, you know, any of it. And so, yeah, it, but that's, that's hockey. Um, but I think a lot of athletes are very superstitious, but I've never seen anything quite like what I see sometimes in baseball. Yeah, I um, uh, the level of superstition when I was playing, but also around the guys was, um, you know, I don't look at it as superstition in as much as it's patterns. I realize that the most successful athletes have these really distinctive patterns, and it's just almost like a calming that you go through these patterns because so you don't have to necessarily think outside it's of what familiarity, you're right? Like just kind of like well, it, stimulus. It, it was weird. Like I uh, would dress almost my entire like the left side and the right side, I'd put on like, mm -hmm. like all of my right left side stuff, including my shoe and tie it. And then I would put on my left, right pant leg. And like, it was this weird kind of almost, uh, and I don't even know how I got into this stuff, but you end up kind of falling into these patterns. Whereas, uh, when I was in Philly, we shared, um, a stadium with the, the Phillies when we were at the, uh, at the vet and the, we used to see the Philly guys on there on occasion and, uh, they were so weird. Yeah. Um, they would all be in shaving their bodies before games we used to go in there and we had we shared uh, uh like a uh, bathroom facilities uh -huh. and those dudes are always in there shaving up it was so like weird. their own body or each other's uh, their own bodies okay All well that's at least and, a little and, bit and, better and, and it was always on game day so we see the game day and i'd be like i used to shave like oh that's what they do on game day and i remember being like that's a weird superstition i don't know how you get stuck in that one uh, I don't know how to shave <laughs> you, my body. you didn't try it no 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 i don't you know i mean it's changed dex bring us back in all right so uh <laughs> patterns like we say the ultimate uh, what we learned last time, the ultimate kind of movement pattern is breathing. And Dana brought her clients in, her baseball players, and was able to recognize without the use of technology who was green, who was still going to be red. And, I mean, that's, that's coaching is, is seeing those patterns as well. So kind of um, we went to visit Jim Steele at the University of Penn, and he had these jump mats. So, Dana, I don't know if you've seen these or – uh, Blue Jays got them, but they're able to kind of measure not only your vertical jump, but also your ability to decelerate and land. And, and, and they can also test tension and torque, like, yeah. how, like how rigid your torso is. So based off of this jump and land sequence with height, I mean, it's pretty wild. They can pretty much tell you whether or not what your training looks like, how you recovered, volume, reps. When, I mean, voodoo. But an experienced coach like Jim would be able to just look at an athlete without that net and probably see pretty close to what it's actually going to read out. And an inexperienced coach will have to rely on that technology. Then an experienced coach and teacher is able to see all this shit without it, and then she's using technology to almost prove the, the validity for the practice that she's giving to her players. So I'm just going to bring it back to technology, recognizing patterns is – I don't know, just some cool, cool conversation, but I don't know. Dana, I'm sure you see a lot of technology used in, in not only kind of um, the strength and conditioning environments, but I mean, what else are the athletes at the top level experimenting, experimenting with? Uh, well, you know, you've covered a lot of it, like the, the bands um, that, that help measure how well they're sleeping, 
they're definitely experimenting with that. But um, going back to what you're saying about, you know, trying to pick up on these things and then using, um, and I'm sorry, my dogs are kind of wrestling behind me because they know you're here. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's all good. But um, I, using technology to affirm your, um, your own presumptions, you know, based on assessing uh, clients, I would look at um, like some of the NHL guys that I worked with would also see the chiropractor who works for the lightning and you know chiropractors love to take x-rays. Uh, but I would want to do my assessment before they do the x-rays because I'd want to try to decide what I thought their pelvis was doing and what their hips look like in terms of, you know, are they um, rotated from uh, left to right? Uh, am I seeing an anterior dip on one side? or the? And so it would be really cool to be able to take them through movements. And that also helped me refine my assessment because the more accurate I could be, you know, which movements were really showing me what I needed to see. And then he would do x-rays. And I loved the way that he would do that. Not that I'm a big fan of x-rays, um, all the radiation, but, but he'd have them standing. So they'd stand, you know, with their feet straight forward and then shoot their pelvis that way. So then you could see when they think they're a neutral, what does their neutral really look like? And usually I was right on. I mean, I got better and better over the course of a couple of years, but I liked using technology that way to help me get better at not having to use technology, if that makes sense. Um, and then what you were saying about that jump pad, uh, in terms of vertical jump, and again, this isn't empirical. We've just done this for fun before, but when you can line up, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor have to line up to, to both work optimally. And so when you've got somebody with a massive anterior pelvic tilt and then the flaring ribs, then your pelvic floor is lining up behind you and, and your diaphragm in front of you. And so when you can kind of bring that back in, then you've got that alignment and then your pelvic floor is going to be more functional and strong. And obviously a stronger pelvic floor is going to help you jump higher. Right. Um, and it's also going to uh, prevent the need for so many adult diapers, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I think it would be interesting to see, you know, based on that kind of thing, um, look at the test from, what did you call it? A jump pad or? Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Um, I mean, it's only 10 grand, but we should no, probably get I, one. I think it's more than that, wasn't it? <laughs> something crazy. Yeah, it was something Not like. Not very prudent. Yeah, it, it was something like each one of these units is like $100,000 and the guy, and they had some donor come through and donated like 10 of them, just wrote a check and was like, yeah, uh, you know, and then bought the exclusivity so yeah. no other school in the Ivy League could use them. Jesus, like it, 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 like I like uh, Jim Steele was telling us a story, and we're like, "Really? Wow, that's pretty cool." So, yeah. But it would be neat to look at it, and then the the you know the people with lower numbers, and then see what's their breathing pattern look like, you know, and what's that alignment of their their pelvic floor and their diaphragm? Do they have that or not? And it would be do, cool. do you see um, uh, really a lot of imbalances in the baseball players because it's such a non-symmetrical sport? Like the, everything is so one-sided. Like they all bat the same way. I mean, what like the last switch hitter, uh, switch hitter was like Pete Rose. Uh, at least that's one I know. But uh, <laughs> Lance Berkman. Uh, okay. But they, you know, they, they always throw out the same hand. They catch. I mean, all their movement patterns are so non-symmetrical or asymmetrical, you could say. 
that I wonder if a lot of these, you know, like uh, the pelvis out, different patterns that they get into, it's just from the fact that they don't ever, you know, if a right-handed guy never, he's never going to throw with his left hand, he's never going to bat the other way. And so, you know, we talk about in our training is, you know, the ability to have balance. If you're going to do something one way, you, you know, like if, for example, if you're an Olympic lift and you always jerk with your left leg forward, you need to jerk with the other way just to try to create some balance. And um, I just wonder if some of the things that you run into, it's just you looking at trying to, I guess you could say, strip down and change movement patterns and just try to fix some things by adding a little symmetry back to them. Yeah. I mean, we're asymmetrical in nature. Um, and what I find is that asymmetry can get exacerbated um, in a lot of players. It's cool to see lefties end up being a little bit more symmetrical because now think about it, we live in a right-handed world. And so everything predisposes us to uh, our center of um, mass being in this right hip. But uh, we touched on this a little bit. It was a rabbit hole. I said, I didn't want to jump down on that last podcast. Um, but the Postural Restoration Institute teaches about asymmetry and our predisposition towards that left to right pelvic rotation. And remember, um, and then a right to left um, rib cage rotation because we're trying, we kind of coil ourselves to try to bring us back to neutral. But remember that the, the biggest aspect of that was that the diaphragm has that longer, thicker attachment on the right side to the right lumbar spine. And so that's kind of, especially when your breathing sucks, that's what's pulling us over. So if we're already there and then we live in a right-handed world and then you have a right-handed baseball player, yeah, they're kind of screwed, right? They're, they're really going to be pulling to the right. Um, but then you have a lefty and sometimes that can be really cool. Uh, like I usually don't see this really dominant right upper trap that I tend to see in so many other people. Um, it's, it's neat uh, to, to work with, and I have a lot of lefties as clients, but I, I respect the asymmetry because I also respect the movements that they have to do that are asymmetrical. So I'm never trying to bring them back to symmetry. And I think that's comical when I hear, especially, you know, yoga instructors who want to work in sports and they're like, we're going to correct all the imbalances. And it's like, well, no, we're going to respect the necessary imbalances, the ingrained imbalances, the imbalances that make them good at their sport, but we're going to try to make them more durable and, uh, and, and, and functional and less susceptible to injury. So how much that means dialing back that asymmetry depends on pers from person to person. If that makes sense. Yeah. And what is what is the sporting background of most of the guys you're you're working with? Because I know that asymmetry is a huge issue with baseball and volleyball youth. Because it's it's that one motion over and over, and then they develop kind of these these issues later in life. Well, when they overuse it, just only playing those two sports. So are most of the baseball players multi-sport guys? Hockey hockey players only hockey players? How's it work at the top? Um. Usually I find that they, they've been multi-sport, um, you know, in their youth and uh, you'll find like a lot of baseball and football and, and at the very least you'll have recreational golf as, you know, a sport, but a sport that they still take pretty seriously and sometimes hurt themselves doing in the off season. But um, I, yeah, it's, but I mean, by the time they're in high school, definitely college and most of the baseball players though you don't tend to end up going to college but by high school they're a single sport athlete 
Well, I mean, and, and most of the hockey guys, I mean, they start at such a young age. I don't know if, um, you know, you guys have seen, like, uh, my family's from Canada. My uncle played professional. I mean, he was, like, I, I was on a traveling team. I mean, this is in the 50s <laughs> when he was, like, seven years old. <clears throat> He's yeah. like, I mean, he goes through the... Like, they're, they're farming at 16, yeah. 15, 16, and, shoveling and, and, snow. Yeah, and he, uh, he, you know, their deal was, uh, you know, flooding the backyard, like, the first ice. They would, like, you know, flood the backyard so that they could skate, start skating early, and... You know, it, it was pretty interesting to hear, but he's like, we were on traveling teams from the time these kids were six and seven years old. I mean, just hearing the life of these hockey kids. So, I mean, they really don't rarely ever play any other sport than hockey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, so, that's a really good point, especially the international guys. I mean, you're not going to have a guy from Finland or Czech Republic or Sweden being like, oh, yeah, and I played all kinds of different sports. It's it, If they're a hockey player, then that was that was pretty much it. And then maybe golf. Is that a case for specialization? Um, I think uh, I, I think you specialize when you have to. I think if you're in an Eastern Bloc country where there is nothing else, <laughs> and like, I mean, you, you know, and like my favorite example was like the Bulgarians. I mean, they were like, we want to, we're going to pick a Olympic weightlifting. We're going to put three million people into our program, and we're going to find a champion. One. And um, <laughs> if you don't, we're going to basically ship you off to the gulag, or you know. And but if you win, you're you know. It, it, like I think there's specialization you have to. I think in terms of developing athletes, and this is something like we make the distinction between athlete and athleticism almost daily. Yeah. Like uh, you know, and I think people use those words interchangeably, but they're really not. Mm-hmm. Like I, I mean, there are, uh, you know, I I would say there's a lot of baseball athletes, but not a lot of baseball players are athletic. Mm-hmm just from having worked with baseball players, but yet I've worked with some baseball players that were tremendous athletes that could have played multiple sports. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but then, you know, you look at, uh, um, I don't think there's an unathletic pole vaulter. You know, you, you watch like all well, the, there's a lot in high school. It, well, that's true. <laughs> but like, you, you know, um, I, I played with some uh, offensive line guys that weren't great athletes, but yet like, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes back and forth. Like um, I, I wrote that article talking about sporting IQ and, yeah. How does that whole thing work out with people? And it's almost like, is it more like, and, and you, you think about like on the grand scheme of things, like in baseball, I think would be an interesting one. Is it better to be a better athlete, like and have athleticism and all these other things, or is it better to have a higher IQ and know, know the game? I mean, I would say certain sports, like a sport like baseball, where maybe a guy might not be as gifted an athlete, but is play like, and I, I posted on my Facebook, you guys saw the uh, interview Pete Rose did when they were talking about hitters. He was like, but like Frank, um, uh, it was, well, he, I think it was, uh, Derek Jeter and Frank, can't remember his last name right now, but he was talking about hitting and there's a reason I'm not a baseball fan, but I'm a Pete Rose fan. Pete Rose schooled these guys with like how, like his baseball Frank IQ Thomas. was, yeah, Frank Thomas, his baseball IQ was so high. What's up? I oh. kept saying Frank Thomas, but yeah. I didn't know you were oh. oh, no, yeah. Oh, sorry. Shout out to my husband. Frank Thomas mentioned him in his Hall of Fame speech. So. Oh, oh, no big deal. The big hurt. The big hurt. No, okay, so as long as we're going to just go that route. My babysitter, when I was uh, like two, three years old, eventually was the babysitter for Frank Thomas. No big deal. Never met the guy. All I know is that's my connection. Oh. My husband was the babysitter for Frank Thomas. <laughs> for Frank Thomas himself, yeah. yeah. Oh, so Hey, are we uh, going out to dinner? And it's like, you know, the game's been over now for an hour and a half. And uh, now I'm waiting for Frank. We're in the weight room. So. Oh, it, uh, <laughs> it's your husband an agent? Was he an agent? or? Uh, My husband is head of strength and conditioning for the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. Nice. 
So Pete Rose, back to sorry. Oh, okay. So so Pete, like uh, if you guys get a chance, I post it on the Facebook. But Pete Rose gets up and he like they're talking about hitting, and he's like, I hit you know four thousand, you know two hundred and fifty seven hits, and he goes, I you know I hit this many left, this many right, and they asked him about having a slump, and he's like, I had these four things. I mean, he literally to the point where those uh, Frank Thomas those other guys were like, damn, like this is the best shit I've ever heard. Like when you hear Hall of Famers, like almost like take a step back and realize he's on that different level. Uh And it really got me thinking about like uh, sporting IQ that the player that, that has that deep meaning understanding of the job that's presented to him beyond all those others, you know, and then you, Mm -hmm. you, you, you put that with, with hustle and like all the other intangibles. And then, you know, you end up with, with a you know, best player stuff should be in the Hall of Fame. It's a fucking travesty. Pete Rose isn't in the Hall of Fame. He never bet against his team. He bet, with this team to win. That's confidence. That's, <laughs> that, that's not gambling. Right. So, but I've been really kind of thinking a lot about this idea of sporting intelligence that, you know, everybody's so against specialization, but you see certain players and the only way they develop that level of sporting intelligence and that level of intimacy is playing the game from, for so, yeah, you know, lifetime. so yeah, for a lifetime, like, uh, you know, rugby, for example, you watch those guys play rugby and they played the game. It's all they've ever played, and those guys understand it on such a uh, you know a deep level where they throw. Just like, go Bodies off of, bro. It's a spiritual thing. But I mean, that's something that uh, I was actually wanted to ask uh, Dana about. Like, so when you bring in players, um, I'm sure there's some guys that are more cerebral than others. Some other guys are just like I just hit the ball. But then you, I'm sure you've worked with some guys that you know almost have a higher IQ in what they do, and they look at it from not just the superficial but more from like the inside the outside in different ways i just wonder if those guys are almost easier to connect with where you're like you know like you can talk to them and say hey you know what this is what we're going to do and it's almost like the smartest guy on the team is usually the first guy to commit on over um so yes uh, definitely smarter guys tend to have more of that kind of growth mindset and they're more open to these kinds of things and I was going to, you didn't bring up catchers, but my husband and I were just talking about this the other day because I, I do work with a lot of catchers and they're really bright guys, but think about it. They're the ones that are calling the pitches. They're the ones that are deciding, right? What's, what's going to happen next? What pitch should um, they throw? And, and so, and then also the pitchers, I mean, sometimes they shake them off, right? But the pitchers really have to be thinking about strategy as well. But catchers, it's huge. So there's a lot more in it, you know, from a cerebral standpoint for them. And um, you mentioned rugby, and I found this fascinating because I didn't realize it, but I had the opportunity uh, to meet with a couple of coaches, mental performance coaches from the All Blacks, and they were they were telling me so many cool things. But one of the things I didn't realize is that um, game day, the coaches aren't there coaching. Like, they – all of what they do during the week is getting the players ready and the players are in charge of the game. The coaches aren't, the coaches are like, all right, we're good. Now you guys go play. So that's so different, right? Than football. Mm -hmm. And they've not, not to say that you guys aren't involved in the strategy, but. Well, no, I actually in football, we aren't, there's, we're not involved in any of the strategy. The coaches come in, they present, they just deliver the book, right? They deliver it and then we have to learn it. Uh, but I had a deal where. But isn't a guy like Tom Brady 
Well, Tom Brady's a unique individual. Yeah. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and those guys were the offensive yeah, coordinators. Yeah, sure, sure. Tell you, like, I, I remember, you know, sitting in a meeting with Tom and, like, they were, you know, like, they had put the game plan together and he had been there developing the game plan mm-hmm. with them. I mean, so... But that's he, the exception. Yeah, he, whereas I was with other guys, they walked in and were like, here you go, fucking do it. But a big thing for me, and I've told you guys this story a hundred times, um, I didn't want to be coached on game day. And I told the coach numerous times that if you have to coach a guy on game day, you have fucking failed him during the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. to, to, to the point where like we would come over and get water and our coach would come over and like, like want to look at the pictures and go over this. We would just get up and walk the fuck away. Yeah. And I, and my coach would always be like, get back over here. And I got it. And I'm like, dude, coach the young guys. Like, yeah. Like there's nothing you're going to tell me. Uh, in this like 30 seconds in between series, that's going to be some monumental thing. And and I, I watch guys getting their asses beat and he'd be over there like, you try this? I'd be like, dude, like, like uh, enough. Like, like let the players go out and play. Like they have a whole week to prepare. This is the, the final test. It's trying to like educate somebody while, you know, like, you know, trying to teach people words during the SAT. Like the work is done. And that's where, you know, the analogy I stole from Bubba Miller, uh, who is our center, uh, the Haze in the Barn. He used yeah. to always say, the haze in the barn, coach. Dude, the work's done. Time to go out and play. Like, like there's no more Like, there's no more work we can do. And uh, that statement, even though I didn't grow up as a farm kid, I remember he used to say it all the time. And finally, I was like, hey, Bob, what does this hay in the barn thing mean? And he's like, fucking city kids. And he, he explained to me. And I was like, that's the best analogy I've ever heard. And so whenever people would start, like, and I'll be like, well, dude, the haze on the barn. Mm-hmm. It's already been done. Let's go. Let's, you know, let's get out there. And I shouldn't have to motivate you or talk you in or coach you. And, like, that was another weird one. Um, trying to talk people into going out and playing. Like that was to, to me, like, uh, you know, I had, you know, at least for me, like I'm pretty sure that if the job assignment was like, Hey, you got to chew this class. I'd be like, sweet. Do I get seconds? Like, let me chew this class to get out there. But like other guys were, you know, and, and I always thought that that was because people didn't prepare during the week for the, for the deal. Like, uh, like you're not nervous for the test. If you've studied for the test, mm-hmm. like I remember, uh, you know, having studied for my finals, walking in and just literally being like, give me the paper. I want to get out of here and get a beer. Like, I'm going to knock this thing out in college. And you would ace it. Um, you know, and I, uh, and playing football was the same thing. I prepared during the week to the point where I knew that if I was going to go out there, I was ready for the test. Now, you know, you're, you're nervous or whatever you're yelling for all these people. But I sometimes think for like baseball, for example, with 162 games, like is the level of like, because football's only 16 games, like, I always think for, like, I, I I always have a tough time wrapping my head around the idea of being able to go out and play that much to the point where you can't get up for 162 games. I mean, that's yeah. literally, like, you have to go out there and look at it as automatic, and I think those guys, you know, I mean, what do they do, a three out of ten hits, and you're in the Hall of Fame? I mean, it's like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm listening to Pete Rose talk about, you know, he battled, he battled, or what was he, batted, like, 342 or something, and he was, like, you know, like, set the, uh, the record, I mean, that's like 340 hits out of every thousand, man. That's crazy. So I, I just wonder if like things for like what she's doing where, you know, you bring them in, you're trying to get them into a flow state, like teaching them to do this becomes the kind of the situation because they have such a long season ahead of them and they in such a deal. Whereas on fo- in football, if she came in and was like, Hey, we're going to breathe before the game. I'd be like, I'm going to start bleeding. <laughs> uh, I'm listening to this music. I'm, I'm literally in the zone to the point where I'm going to like, kill somebody uh-huh. like there's a zero relaxation this is me sprinting through the door like come talk to me tomorrow we'll breathe tomorrow like that so i in football, i only really like in season in football i only work with them on mondays 
Like it's not, well, unless they're, you know, it's Monday night football for them, but it's, it's the day after it isn't, it does not make sense. Mm-hmm. Although I, I heard that the Seahawks meditate before games, but I mean, I would want to listen to Beastie Boys before games. Like I don't, I, that would be my meditation. You know? uh, what Beastie Boys? What? Uh, A sabotage? Well, I love sabotage, but no sleep till the Brooklyn. Brooklyn. So the uh, we had uh, Kevin Elko, who is uh, you know sports psychologist guy, and we've been trying to get him on the podcast, and he just called and threatened him. But uh, <laughs> Elko was great, and he's like, I want you to uh, pick out a song that when you listen to the lyrics, speak to you. And he's like, you know, people that can listen to music peripherally, they like the beat, whatever. But he goes, I want you to look for something where, where you can actually listen to the lyrics and the lyrics speak to you to the point where, like, that can be part of your, like, meditation, your ritual. And, like, I want you to, like, be able to, to find these different lyrics. And so um, he would always ask me, but, oh, did you find any good songs? And I would come, I would, like, be like, well, today we're going to listen to Slayer, Raining Blood, or, uh, you know, <laughs> Raining Blood. I'm like, you know, and, and I would give him these lyrics and he'd look at me. Yeah, and, um, but there there was a song by uh, a Slipknot kick these days. Well, I, uh, the the song that really spoke to me. There's a song by uh, Monster Magnet, and uh, it's called Power Trip. And like those lyrics to me were like some of the most powerful lyrics I ever, I, at least for me personally. And uh, that was one of my pregame songs that I would listen to. And it was that idea of like visualization we talked about, and like you know being able to like put yourself in the zone. Uh, see the mistake, fix the mistake, go back, and then, like, imagine, you know, almost play the game before it happens and, you know, strive for excellence. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I think it's what's so fascinating just talking about this with, with her is you have different sports that are playing at different level or at different levels and different levels of intensity based off of, you know, like football, for example, you know, 16 games where you have four months where this is everything. Mm-hmm. You have baseball to 162, and then what does hockey play? Like 80-some 80, 80 games? Oh, it's a lot of games. I, I mean, it, it's it's a lot, but uh, we used to go to the Flyers games all the time, and dude, the hockey guys were hysterical. Like the amount of shit talking that those dudes did, and like the amount of cursing. Like 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 we we would sit on the glass, and these dudes would like just all. Oh my god, I was in tears laughing. Like the things they said, and like you know, these dudes are are feisty, pissed off guys. And you know, they have they have a sport that actually uh, encourages fighting. Like I, you know, I'm in. I mean, but it's pretty funny to put guys on, on ice, mm-hmm. on skates, and then let them fight, which is even more funny. But I guess but, going, going so, back to we, we don't see the goalies fight. So if we think about it in the athletes that Dana's working with, she's working with the goalies. And then baseball, like the, a pitch moves faster than you can actually see it. So you just have to be in just a, almost that flow state to let your body just go and act. And, but, and going back to the combat sports or like the, you know, a – a forward or defensive in hockey or even NFL, like it makes sense to have Dana in their post game because we were talking last episode about being unable to flip the switch off, you know, that heightened uh, high cortisol, go rip somebody's head off, stick your fingers in their eyes. Like maybe there's a, a, an aspect of her business that we haven't examined being able to wind dudes up. Yeah. And like get them into it and being like, Here's the deal. Everything we know about breathing, we're going to reverse that shit. <laughs> I want you to start like Stop short breathing. breathing. I want you to like, <laughs> I want to take a thousand short breaths while I uh, stick you with this cattle prod and then I'm going to send you running out there. So, I mean, maybe that's another aspect of the business. So, I'm, I'm not. Well, okay. I don't quite take it to that extreme, but working with some of the mental performance coaches, you know, we're trying to determine with individual athletes where they're 
prime state is because some people, you know, can be in that flow state and they can be, you know, have the lower heart rate and, and, and be, that's it for them. But then other people need to be high. So on a scale from, of, you know, from one to 10, most people are probably at a five, but then there are some guys who need to be at an eight and some guys do better at a three. And so figuring out what are the tools to get them there. Usually the hyped up guys, it is more music. Um, but, you know, like working in the NBA, when I'm doing yoga with the guys, uh, it, depending on the time frame that it, it, we're doing it, a lot of times we're doing, you know, we've got hip hop on in the background. I don't do a whole lot of like yoga music um, kind of thing. Uh, it, I, I will some, well, you know what? In the NFL, I've used it more. When, when you were at the Patriots, Inga, 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 like, what's uh, Anugama. I I did some yoga and they kept playing Inga, Inga. I don't know what that is. It was, I've never heard of it. Like, sound, like, the only thing I could equate it to was what I would imagine it would sound like if whales were in space. Oh, wow. No, we don't do whales in space, but when you were, when you were at the Patriots, I know you weren't there a long time, but was Benjamin Watson there? Uh, yeah, I know Ben Watson. Okay, so I worked with Ben, and also, who was the other tight end at the same time then? Because, jeez, uh, it was Ben, and I can see him. I can actually see his email address, but his name isn't in it. Like, the weird things that we remember, but you don't remember who the other tight end was? Oh, that's not um, like the guy that's in jail, is it? Not Aaron Hernandez. Aaron, yeah, Aaron, no. Aaron Hernandez? No. No, no. Um, he's, he's with the Broncos now, I think. Um, oh, shoot. Maybe that'll come to me later, too. But um, anyway, they loved Anugama. Um, which was the Anugama is this kind of tribal yoga music. And tribal music. David yeah. Thomas. Is it oh, David, yeah, David, David Thomas, Thomas from Texas? Yeah, Dave. No. No. Um, hmm. no. Oh. Anywho. Hey, barreling hey, forward. Yeah. Barreling forward. Yes. But you've never heard of Eng, uh, Inga? Inga? I think it's, I've never heard it's, of it because you're making What is that? How do you spell it? I'm on the Google. I'm Googling. I-N-G-A? No, Enya. 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 That's yeah, it. It's oh. It sounds like whales in space. Like, that's what I always <laughs> imagine. Whenever I hear it, it's like what I imagine that if whales were in space at a rave. That's what they would be making. <laughs> at, at a rave. At, yeah. If whale, uh, the whales in space rave. It was a really weird, yeah. So. Should we wind this back in a little bit? Yeah, Daniel what's up? Graham. Daniel Graham. Daniel Graham. Okay. Yes. All right. I'm sorry. I just is the, no, no worries. He was the other tight end. Do you know him, mm -mm. John? Okay. No. All right. Anyway, yes. Um, some of the things, text you had wanted to go over. You the, you mentioned the oh, travel. 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 So, before we go down any more rabbit holes, uh, Luke and I, and I guess John, how many times you travel a year? A couple uh, of, twice. No, <laughs> hey, let's take this trip around the world. It's going to be great. Have fun, guys. Yeah, have fun, Storm in the castles. Um, no, well, see, first of all, you guys are the size of hobbits, so you can like sit comfortably in, Excuse a, me. in, in a fucking coach seat. We're basically and the same size. <laughs> you just have longer Tim Finn. <laughs> so, uh, 
But baseballers, they travel what? 82 games a year, right? 82? Yeah, but uh, professional athlete travels a little bit different than the uh, – I don't understand. Uh, seminar staff. Seminar staff. <laughs> <laughs> we party pretty hard. <laughs> wow, airlines? I was like, is there any way to fly you guys to Europe on Southwest? <laughs> How many stops is that? What's smaller than economy? <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, wow airlines where uh, we got them tokens to go to the restroom. And Luke's like – I can use a token for the bathroom or a wine. I'll get the wine. Yeah. The <laughs> um, but uh, as is tradition, uh, like so, it's about movies movie. and booze. That's all you need. No, but oh, here we let's, got that covered. What we don't have covered are the, so three phases of travel. How I'm looking at it. What can we do before we get on the plane? Whether that's the night of, the morning of, or I mean, we don't really care if we're doing it outside the gate on the plane. So I saw you doing some yoga on Instagram on the plane. And then immediately after, because we have to we have to sprint, we have to bend, we have to do all these performance things after to kind of show off our skills. So how do we prepare for those? So a lot of them are going to be similar. I mean, when you're on the plane, space is a huge issue. So um, there's a little difference there, but I'm always looking for... Uh, creating space because so we've all been sitting here for a while. <laughs> I have a dog on my lap. Okay, buddy. His kryptonite uh, is if I blow in his face. Uh, pretty funny that you have like a ninety-pound lap dog. Yes, I do. <laughs> He's a lab and a Rottweiler mix. But um, okay, uh, where oh, so I I try to expand like just side waist muscles. Um, and also at the same time, what I'm really doing is getting your rib cage out of a, either a flared position or a push back position, just bringing it back to, um, the position that's going to work for you, which is if we get the obliques to turn on, then we're going to help to pull these ribs back in, which is going to put you in a better position. So I tend to, um, I do this. I don't know if, I don't know if we did this one on Instagram. Um, what I was goofing around with the jet blue people. So don't, those weren't like real pictures. I mean, did you see, I put my leg like up over my head. Nobody needs to do that ever, especially on a plane. Well, let's that see folks do that. Yeah, well, we were trying it. So thanks yeah. for letting us know yeah. now. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> all right. You guys. The weird part is, uh, you know, Texas all of a sudden is like, what's going on your iPod? It's like the Apple bottom jeans. And all of a sudden his leg goes up. Like, <laughs> oh, I got to get sick. That's my song. <laughs> that Y'all thing. are beastie boys. I'm an Apple. is big in Texas, uh, you know, Podcast list. Uh, it is John. Well, he's from Florida, so he's Flo Rida. Oh, oh, I get it. I get it. So it's not oh just my gosh. Wait, you guys knew that you you didn't just get that. Oh now. no, yeah, we totally knew that. What the Flo Rida? <laughs> I think I didn't even know what well, a Flo Rida was. I'm just amazed. I thought it was like a shampoo. I'm just amazed that no other dude saw Flo Rida in Florida, and he was the first. It. Oh, you mean like he got the name yeah. in 2015? Yeah, yeah and he was like like all these years. Like, you know. Let's get off the hip-hop. And let's get back wow. to like helping Tex and I travel healthily. How about that? <laughs> you, know, how you are a selfish son of a bitch. What? I, this is my uh, What's that? I said, how did we get there? Like I'm trying to figure out, <laughs> backtrack uh, well, to how we got to Florida. I used to live in Florida. Uh -huh. So I used to live in, in Clearwater Beach. So, Perfect. Yeah, he's lived right in Safety Harbor. So that's how we did it. Yeah. Well, it all makes sense now. Okay. Yeah, it, it does. So, um, 
So a standing side bend, uh, and, and so you're standing up, uh, you grab a wrist, and you pull over to the side. And in yoga, they do this all the time. They probably have some yoga name for it that I've long since forgotten. But I don't do it as uh, emphasizing the, the side stretch as much as I emphasize the activation of internal, well, external and internal obliques on the side that you're bending towards with every exhale. So every time you exhale, tucking in these ribs. So instead of keeping the hand up here on the wrist, you take the hand down to the ribs on that side. And then every time you exhale, almost like an oblique crunch. And at the same time, what are you doing? You're expanding this side. So you get, you get a stretch, but don't focus on the stretch. Focus on the activation aspect. The other thing More is- range of motion than you, Tex. I'm working. So, and then the other thing you can do, which is cool, so I focus exhalations here with this oblique um, activation, and then on the opposite side that's getting the stretch, I focus on the inhalation and expanding the rib cage. Because if you expand the rib cage while you're in that position, that's just going to make the stretch bigger. So it's activation and inhibition um, in that position. And that takes you out of this, yeah, actually just doing it on that side. I want to do it over on this side. So and putting your arms over your head, huge. Because think about it, how many times during the day do you actually do that, especially when you're traveling? We're here, right? Um, so taking your arms over your head, and you don't have to go into a back bend. Everybody's always, oh, I wanna go into extension. If it feels right, then that's fine. But otherwise, you know, just interlace your fingers, take your arms over your head. None of this has to look goofy. Like the stuff that I do at the gate before I get on the plane, does not look goofy. And what's funny is I'll find that other people, like they're staring at me initially. And the next thing I know, they, they don't want me to notice that they're doing it, but I'll have my back turned and then I look and then I've got two other people who are now trying to do the stuff I was just doing. Because they're like, all right, that looks like it makes sense. Um, hip flexors. So standing up too. The people who are sitting at the gate blow my mind. Why are you sitting for an hour before your flight to get on a two, three, five hour flight? I, um, I conserving energy. Right? Is that right. why they sit? Yeah. A they lot conserve. of Jason Bourne to watch. Yeah. Wow. yeah. They will. They got to watch more movies. Right? Hmm. Conserving yeah. energy. Well, I'm getting my movie list ready to watch. <laughs> I can't yeah. do that standing. So I, I never, ever sit at the gate. I just don't. I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me. So making sure that you're not, like, stand around and walk around. You're not sitting before you get on the plane. So those are the big things. Like, just lengthen everything out. Activate obliques um, so you get your rib cage in a good position so that then your breathing is going to be decent when you get on the plane your posture is going to be better when you get on the plane um, I also like uh, functional squat before I'll get on the plane and that one that one's on my YouTube channel but that's also and you know it's the only time I don't have yoga clothes on I'm actually wearing a dress I'm almost like a real girl uh, but functional squat is just a squat, like a real squat. Um, you don't have to do it up on a chair like that. It's pretty good, though. Yeah, there you go. Uh, for the listeners, it seemed to be like kind of a closed stance or closed stance. Swimmer squat. Swimmer squat. Yeah, yeah swimmer squat. Mm -hmm. Is what we would call it on our end of it. 
And so when I'm doing that, I'm actually, and everybody's so afraid of the kyphotic curve. Mm -hmm. You know what? Your spine should have a kyphotic curve, um, your T-spine. So it's about rib cage retraction. So when I'm in that position, I'm going to take a few breaths and I'm going to try to expand my rib cage through here, which is really cool because when you do that, your low back will release even more, especially QL. I mean, think how locked up like your QL gets when you're sitting on a plane and so I like that one. And as much as it wouldn't seem like it, if you're dropping your pelvis into that posterior tilt when you're down at the bottom of that um, squat, your hip flexors aren't really on. So that's just, I like that. Um, but then, you know, just basic turning, inhibiting the hip flexors, you can do like a standing quad stretch. Um, there's a way to get all of it because I like efficient movements. So to get all of it at once, um, everything that we were kind of just talking about in terms of side waist, arms overhead, and then hip flexor would be more of a, like in yoga, they call it warrior one, but it could also just be a lunge and I do a short version of it. So let's say my right foot is in front and my knee is slightly bent. And then, it's, so it's like a lunge right? But now the left leg's behind. Whatever leg is behind, that's the arm you want to lift up. And then I'm coming over to the side, right? And if your balance is bad, then hold on to like a chair or whatever. But now I'm getting hip flexor. I'm getting the arm overhead. So I'm stretching up. And then I'm also getting the oblique activation in the rib cage position. Where would I do this on the airplane? Oh, so I, on, on your seat. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. Don't do goofy shit when you're in your, in your seat because I've had people doing weird stuff next to me and not necessarily yoga, but... That was us. Yeah, I, I don't need that. But when you get up to go to the bathroom, yeah. that's the only time you would ever be able to do much of anything. You can take your arms up over your head when you're in your seat because that might be the only way that you could do it as long as you don't smack into somebody. But... Um, yeah, you don't want to be you don't want to be in other people's space. So you get up to go to the bathroom, and even well, yeah. in the bathroom, you can do something like what I just did. Even you, John, could no, I, I can't. I can't even stand up in the bathroom. That's why I. Which it's fine because you always sit to pee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually terrified of uh, airport or uh, airplane bathrooms. Yeah, that's bummer, man. It is. It's, why? it's uh, and because one, I don't fit in them, and two, like I don't even. Yeah, like. It, it kind of get in there, but um, yeah. Like, so I mean, terror. Well, and and the worst is uh, I have to take like my my wife and I trade off with my daughters because of course they have the bladders of uh, a blueberry, mm -hmm. so they have to go to the bathroom every six seconds. And my wife somehow convinced them that they need to constantly stay hydrated. Mm -hmm. Like my wife's like, make sure you're drinking water, stay hydrated. And I'm like, they have the bladders the size of a blueberry. I have to take them to the bathroom. So then I'm like in there, and you're in the bathroom, and you're like. Ugh. Uh, I'm like trying to hold them up. I'm like, can I just hold you and go to the bath? Oh, that's terrible. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, this is a parent thing. These guys don't have kids, so they don't know. Doesn't seem that is. complicated. Well, yeah. so I really do it outside of the bathroom. Um, and, and as you saw, like in the Instagram pictures, usually the flight crew does not care if you step into their space because they have bigger space. They yeah. Sometimes the ceiling's even higher there. It's just it's stretch it out a little bit. It's not, it's not, um, the, it's not that difficult. A lot of this routine seems is kind of similar to the before bed stuff that you had posted yeah. on CNN. Right. So it's just kind of like, 
it's unjamming all the sitting in an office throughout the day was a lot of the theme uh, yes. of that one article. So yeah, and that's the same like go to move that I give people um, when they stand up. Uh, when they need to get up from their desk like mm -hmm. if you get up do this you know Let, let's get you into the opposite of the posture that you've been in for a long time but when you're in your seats um, rolling just rolling your wrists and your ankles a little bit just to increase circulation um, that's that's helpful but that's really all that I promote in the seat because I don't I just don't think anything else is necessary um, there's not a whole lot of room you start doing goofy stuff and you're you, just gonna piss people off uh, do you recommend any compression so I know Luke's been jumping on this train and I haven't had any compression socks for sure yeah. so really? compression socks or mm -hmm. kind of like a shivers for your your caps or anything like that I love to fly in my 2xu tights um, I yeah I, I like that but when you land, um, I just don't want to forget to tell you this. Uh, I love to do the whole legs up. In yoga, it's called legs up the wall. There's a fancy mm -hmm. name for it, Viparita Karini. But just getting your legs up above your heart, mm -hmm. uh, it, it does wonders. Um, it's, so that's my go-to. Like As soon as I get back to the hotel, I'm you know, on the bed with my legs up the headboard and just hang out there and you can check your phone, do whatever, you know, but just hang out there for a little bit. I like that. There's also, I recommend this one for you, John. Um, I always do try to do at least a hundred calf raises every time I go to the bathroom. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. Just because, you know, get some circulation through the legs and obviously you want calves that pop. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, so you don't like a Tony Robbins calves. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's just for you, John. Uh, I, don't, I don't think we're recommending that for everybody. I get it. You know, that was uh, Luke worked hard for that joke. What do you mean? I've did been playing it for two months. Did you hear how, how like, jokes, yeah. you shouldn't have to work that hard for a joke. It should just be, like, off the cuff, quick, easy, like, little, like, What are you, the little, joke police? Little joke. Well, I am now. That's two laps. You're And the fact that, like, we can see your jokes coming like a slow punch, and I'm like, all right, wait for it. And here it comes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. What is this, a roast? I was like, yeah. All right. Who are you, Justin Bieber? Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong with that? But uh, no, good stuff, dude. I mean, Tex, are you. It's meditation time. Oh. Oh, okay. Time to bring forth the rhythm and the rhyme. If you're driving, it's time this. to meditate. <laughs> Close your eyes. You know, the podcast. Is this, is this just pushing a baby around? Yeah. Just a, the safest parking lot in Costa Mesa <laughs> with the fucking street racers down there that are just like dude, trying to the do fast, in their super. Dude, the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift fucking happening in our parking lot at least pushing the baby. Callie's boyfriends. Oh. Are we back on? We are. Okay. So I guess what we'll do on our end, just in case like we have some loudness driving by, we're going to put ourselves on mute. Sound okay. good? Yeah. And uh, we're ready, John. I think yeah, part of meditation is put your phone down. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. So um, I just want you to sit comfortably. You don't have to worry about your posture. So you can sit in any position, uh, and in a chair is fine. Uh, you can sit on the floor if you want, but you don't have to. And then you have to place your hands though with your palms up on your legs. 
So that's the only real rule here is your hands are going to start there and end there because there will be a movement that's associated with this. And keep your eyes closed. And just start to tune into your breathing, lengthening and deepening it just enough so that it's easier to follow. And although I talk a lot about breathing mechanics, I don't want you to judge your breathing. Just follow it. And as you follow your breath, feel that the expression fades from your face. All of your attention captivated by the sounds and sensations of your breath. And your hands resting palms up on your legs. And now imagine, because this meditation is a visualization, you're going to imagine that there's a small hole in the center of your abdomen that you can breathe in and out. And of course, most of us have a belly button. And so imagine that the air now can stream in and out the small hole in the center of your abdomen. Every inhalation and exhalation flowing in and out your belly button. And if for any reason this visualization is tough for you, sometimes it helps to just take a hand, put it on your abdomen, on that hole, so that you feel it and can associate the visualization with it and then just replace your hand on your leg. And from that point, the air continues to move in and out on every inhalation and exhalation. On your next inhalation, we'll draw the air in that hole in the abdomen. Feel the air rise up and now exit a hole in the center of your chest. So the breathing pattern now is the air coming in through the abdomen, rising up and exiting a small hole in the center of your chest. All of your awareness, your concentration, completely captivated by this visualization and the sensations of air streaming in through the abdomen, rising up and flowing out the center of the chest. On your next in-breath, let's draw the air in through the abdomen, close off that hole, the air rises up, and now as though you could breathe entirely in and out the center of your chest. All of your awareness, concentration, completely captivated by the sensation of air streaming in and out the center. Of your chest. On your next in-breath, draw the air in through the center of the chest and then split it in two and allow it to flow down your arms and exit holes, one each in the center of your palms. So your breathing pattern now is inhaling the air through the center of the chest 
and then feeling it flow down the arms and exit holes, one each in the center of your palms. Allowing yourself to be completely immersed in this visualization and all of the associated sensations. On your next in-breath, draw the air in through the center of the chest and then close off that hole. The air flows down your arms, exiting the palms, and now as though you could breathe entirely in and out the center of your palms. Air, energy flowing, pulsating in and out the center of your palms. Maintaining this concentration on what you're feeling in the center of your palms, this pulsating, flowing energy in and out. Begin to slowly allow your hands to lift up off of your legs, very, very slowly. And then turning your hands so your palms are facing one another, and allowing them to start to move in towards each other, still feeling this flowing, pulsating energy in and out of your palms. And as they come in towards one another, being careful not to allow them to touch, just playing on this energetic edge. And as you feel appropriate, you can move the hands away or in along with the flow of energy in and out of the palms. Remaining completely captivated by the sensation of air energy between your palms. Allowing yourself to be completely immersed in this visualization for just about 30 seconds more. Playing on that energetic edge. And then just as slowly as you brought the hands in, begin to pull the hands apart very slowly. And when you feel that they're hovering once more above your legs, just turn the palms and then return the hands to your legs. Slowly and gently. And now bring your attention back and check the contents of your mind. 
And the respiration returns to normal, taking an in-breath through the nose and out the nose, if possible. And then gently opening your eyes when you're ready. Okay, so remember, I can't hear you, so. It's like, it's just like floating, light. Cool, and when you check the contents of your mind, what did you find? No, nothing. And that means you won, yeah, you won meditation. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, do you feel like? No, I was tired, I was ready to go to sleep. You feel like I don't know if you saw me yawning, but I yawned no. like 10 times, but that's because I'm perpetually tired. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was great. Yeah. That, so um, what did you, what did you feel? I try not to tell people beforehand what they're going to feel or how it would feel because I don't want to set a preconceived notion, but there tends to be a lot of the same response. But what did, what did it feel like between your hands? So on inhale, it felt, I felt my hands pulling together and then exhale pushing apart. But like, uh, I mean, I could liken it to holding magnets and kind of magnets kind of yeah. opposites attract and, and vice versa. And that's usually the magnet thing is, is what people come back with. How about you, Tex? Uh, energy. I mean, I guess uh, Luke's, Luke uh, put it with magnets, but I was just feeling, I guess, um, and then I had a visual of just fucking uh, like energy flowing between right and left. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, where I, I use visual, I guess Luke had the feel there. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Again, light. Just, uh. And John, you're ready for nap time. Yeah, I was ready to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes people feel like heat. Um, uh, one of my NHL clients told me that he imagined if he could pull the stuff out of a lava lamp, that's what he was touching. Some people say like taffy or mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So it's whatever. But and that that part is cool. But the, the, the whole um, goal of the meditation is that end part. Check the contents of your mind. You find nothing because we cleared out all the shit, mm -hmm. right? So it's all gone, and now you have a clean slate, and so start from there. And um, in terms of conditioning, you know, we talked early on in the beginning of the podcast about how – if a pitcher can't step off the rubber for, you know, an eight minute meditation. I don't know how many minutes that ended up being. I, I was a little flustered because my dog started barking outside. I don't know if you could hear that, but I walked into another no, we room. In we, we were All in right, good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, they started barking outside. I'm like, damn it. So, um, but, uh, but for me personally, because I've taught it so many times, I've done it myself, but I've taught it so many times when I'm walking around, um, teaching it to a group and I start to go like this, I immediately can feel like that kind of magnetic energy because it's just conditioned. It's like, Oh, I put my hands like this. Like as I do this now, I can feel it. And it's, it's very cool because it makes it really easy for me to get into that zone of let's clear the crap out of my mind. Um, and that's, like I said, the whole goal. So yeah, it's great. Awesome. Anything else, Tex? Or are we? No, I think it's a great place to end. Well, what are we going to talk about in part three? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll wait until I've got something else that I can talk about. No, it. sounds great, Dana. Thanks again oh. so much for for reconnecting and I guess finishing that that first that first stuff we talked or the first wave of content we talked about. This was great. This is 
put a you know nail in the coffin. And so you're going to be at uh, one of the NSCA events in Vegas. Oh yeah, the, the national conference. So that'll be fun. And it's breathe better to move better um, and feel better. So a lot of the stuff that we covered in both the podcasts, just a little more efficiently. I won't <laughs> jump down so many rabbit holes. We won't talk about Tony Robbins and, well, that's what this whole thing's about, getting off subject. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, yeah, that's, that's so fun. That, <laughs> yeah. That's kind of the theme of our podcast. Like, uh, we are trying to actually divert this into the most random places we can. So Which makes us the premier podcast in strength, strength conditioning. conditioning. And thank God we have techs who's constantly trying to pull us back to not nonsense. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I've, I've got a system for these. It's just three questions that we can cover in two hours. <laughs> <laughs> We covered three questions. In yeah, three yeah, we got it. Yes, so, we did it. Guys, Dana Santos, uh, mobility maker on social media, Googler, uh, and then a lot of good stuff on the CNN. I did follow up and find some cool little uh, uh, techniques and routines for before bed when you wake up, and then now we have one for when you travel. So Amazing. thanks a lot, Dana. It was, uh, it was awesome just like last time, and uh, we wish you the best, and we'll see you next time we see you, I guess. Oh yeah. Oh, Hey, one more thing. Um, I did, I am looking at, uh, setting up some programming on train heroic. Oh, great. Because yeah, I saw, I saw that you guys were doing that and I heard about your podcast. I didn't listen to it, but your podcast with, was it Ben? Yeah. And how initially he had your name and John, you were going to fucking kill him. Oh what yeah. 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 Uh, ben, Ben Crookston. Remember yes. when Ben Crookston came out, they came out with the power athlete program. And then we saw those fucking hacks oh, at uh, Texas coaches, high school coaches. <laughs> well, you know, like it's, um, it's you know, hilarious with branding and stuff. Uh, you know, the problem is Ben's a hack and he's fucking unoriginal. <laughs> and they stole my shit. And at that point we were going to fucking murder them. Cause you know, in the old days we would just call people on the phone and be like, Hey, listen here. If I fucking find you, you're dead. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, that's how we did. And we shook him off and he was like, Oh, and then he came over and he apologized. And I was like, well, he's like, well, oh, and here, look at us now. Just, fucking, he knew what he was doing. I think he's a smart. Now that we know, no, he's, like, yeah. he's a smart guy. That was uh, that was some intentional. Like we'll get their attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, he also yeah. called the gym um, numerous times. Oh, that, at yeah. 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 Oh, that. Yeah. that makes it. It's almost like when somebody calls me Santos. Like I get, you know. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. Oh, but you know what? I know we were we were trying to go, but that reminds me of. Um, so I I sued NBC Universal. Because they came out with this, my, before I went to Mobility Maker, so I sued them to keep the name that I'd had, but then I changed it. But anyway, I, I had Radius Yoga forever. You had what? I, I had Radius Yoga. That radius was, yoga. And that was, you know, for 10 years, I was Radius Yoga. And um, they started Radius Fitness, and they had a yoga program that they called Radius Yoga. They even started a contest on social media Hashtag radius yoga. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, and um, original bastards. So so I reach out to them and then some tool um, emails me back from NBC and says, Hey, we might consider, you know, um, joining forces or and I'm like, uh, no, my lawyer's gonna contact you. And it cost me like four grand. Um, but I had more than 30 athletes in professional sports who wrote letters that went along, like they signed letters and said, this is confusing to us because this is who we know as radius yoga. And we sent it with a cease and desist. So I didn't technically have to sue them. No, but um, you threatened it, which is, you know, yeah, drop the hammer. Well, which yeah. is, it's good because uh, we found that if I lo the, the lawyer sending a letter is not as powerful as me calling you on the phone. Mm -hmm. 
Hey. So I should have had you call and yeah, well, it, it's the yeah, it's a deep voice, and it's also like, well, I'll fucking find you, and it's not <laughs> gonna, it's so. Not you do gonna, your best Liam Neeson impression. It's so fucking, <laughs> I have a very impressive yeah, skill I, set. I, yeah, I have a very unique skill set, and uh, I will turn on you. No, dude, like the well, I'm not gonna wrap up Ben because I'll do it in person when I see him in a couple weeks. Yeah, next but, week. Uh, yeah, next week. This fucker. But anyway, <laughs> he has a great platform, Train Heroic. Yeah, and for sure. Looking at putting some content up there. And then the other thing was, remember, um, Move More Ember. Hashtag Move More Ember. I'm going to be doing move, um, you know, movement yeah, yeah. tips and movement instruction every day throughout November. We well, can what about, like, Flexember? Yes. No, it's dead December. You can't know. Well, what about December? I mean, you know, I mean, no. what about isn't flex- all this just flexibility? Isn't all this just really just stretching? Just what stretch- about by, just by December? So it I, is not just stretching. Well, I know it's, 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 an uh, it's, an, uh, it's a joke. Uh, when Kelly Starrett oh. was on Joe Rogan's podcast, he was like talking about mobility and this whole deal. And Joe Rogan was like, uh, isn't this just stretching? And Kelly, <laughs> yeah. Kelly was like, no, it's not. It's, it, Joe, Joe's like, it sounds like stretching. Like, we did this, kids do this stuff. And it was just... Couldn't make the connection. Yeah, you just couldn't make the connection, so it's kind of our inside joke. Oh, okay. All right, but no, December is December. So. December? December? Deadlifting is my favorite. Oh, uh, there we go. You lost me. Why? You know, Luke is, al- I'm allergic. Luke is allergic to Dead deadlifting. Deadlifts and avocados. I'm allergic to them both. Yeah, de- Luke is deadlift, uh, allergic to deadlifting. So if we deadlift, Luke will get sick for at least two weeks. Maybe I'm going to try meditating now before deadlifting. I don't think you Maybe can do it. I, I think you are, uh, you know, those, those thin bird bones that you have, they just, you know, they're so light that. I'm sorry, know, what? Bird bones. Bird bones? Yeah, they're hollow. They're you hollow bird bones. allergic to deadlifting. Yes. Oh, no. And- yes. Maybe try the meditation thing because as soon as when we were talking about, and we are really what is your help, but. Uh, Miss Santos, what is your deadlift? <laughs> well, hey Santos, they, tell me what your deadlift is. <laughs> okay, Jim. So Jim, my uh, my deadlift. I'm good with that, is, Jim Wilburn. Yeah, it's I'm good. Double, yeah. it's double my body weight, but I only weigh 105, so it's 210, and that looks awkward. So I'm going for 225, so that I can be even with my 45s. There you go on the bar. So I'm going for 225, but you know nice. for. For someone who weighs 105, yeah, well, well, I know, but here's the thing: you need to pack on about 30 pounds. Because no. if you can put 30 pounds on you and get you up to a buck 35, you could easily deadlift like 300 300. pounds. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm talking about being 105, but I've done Squattober all month. Yeah, yeah. And I always tell, I always tell women, and I even wrote a CNN article about strength training for women, and that it's bullshit that you get bulky because you have to train a specific way. In order to get bulky, well, guess what? I know what that specific way is: fucking squat heavy every single day for a month, yeah, and then yeah. try to put your jeans on and realize that you have five pounds of quads. Yeah, that you didn't have before. Well, here's the problem: you need to have spandex jeans so that they shrink and they grow, depending on how you put on weight. That's and what. Now we're gonna come back to Flowrider. Yeah, <laughs> put on spandex. Our, Luke actually Rida. has yeah. tights. That look like jeans. I had them, the maternity pants. Yeah. The, <laughs> so we did this thing called uh, 22 Jack Street where we took 22 weeks and uh, these guys had to put on 10% of their body weight in 22 weeks. Mm-hmm. And then I had to lose, Kelly and I had to lose 10% of our body weight. And then we did body composition changes. It was We all picked different diets. We all did the same training program. And uh, uh, Long Luke, story short, about 15 weeks in, I just stopped wearing jeans and went straight to sweatpants. 
Uh, you know, like he came in the office literally just wearing like, and I'm like, are you wearing sweatpants? He's like, yeah, I blew up my jeans. I'm just going to rock sweatpants. <laughs> and uh, poor Tex, I, you were up to how much? How much did you two, one, 217. 217.8. So you, and you weighed two. Am I heaviest? Yeah. 254. 254. Oh, I, I got to 268. Wow. Uh, so I was, yeah, I was. But my jeans, I had, uh, we went to Westside and I was on the bell squat machine <laughs> and uh, some guy called me out because I was in jeans and boots and I said, all right, whatever. So I got on it just because he called me out with whatever weight was on there and I just pushed back to go through the squat with the belt on and I could feel my jeans and the immediate feel <laughs> I had was Jurassic Park 2 when Julianne Moore falls down, the trailer's hanging off the cliff with the T-Rex and she's on the glass. Uh-huh. And, and it just starts spider webbing? The spider web, and that was the seams of my jeans. I got down as low as I could. I felt that tension, and instead of stretch shorting reflex, it was Wrangler reflex. <laughs> Shot me out of the hole, and then I was, that was it. That's a Had story. Moment. <laughs> that, was, that was a moment. That's so, excellent. Yeah. All right, let's button it up. We're good. All it's right, been a good we'll hour plus, but thanks okay. a lot, Dana. Talk to you later. Thanks, Diana. Bye-bye. <laughs> okay, Jim. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Remember that you can find Dana Santos as at Mobility Maker on Instagram. Additionally, Dana can be found featured on CNN as a regular movement specialist contributor and will be speaking at the NSCA conference this year as part of the Move Better initiative. Until next time, bye!